Coming live from Denver, Colorado, USA is our guest this evening. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Susie Hayes, a psychotherapist, certified hypnotist, and certified life and business coach. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you today. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show uh, because you are an expert of so many things and you'll be talking about something that a lot of people need in their lives today, whether it's work, business, personal relationships. And we'll be talking about how to become and stay freed from stuck. And people need to move on. Otherwise, they get stuck forever. So... But we will ask from you, what does this all mean? What does stuck mean? And then what does being freed mean? And how does one uh, become and stay freed from stuck forever? Please. Those are really good questions. And I'll try not to be too lengthy, but as thorough as I can. Uh, to be stuck is really about recognizing in your life that something isn't working the way that you want. The quality of your life is diminished in some way. You're frustrated, not happy, not accomplishing a goal. And you realize that you want to make a change. You want your life to be different. You want to be in a different place and you just can't seem to get there, don't know how to do it. That's what being stuck is. And we're all familiar with that experience. That's just part of being human. To be freed means then to know that we have the capacity to make changes to create our lives in a different and better way. And part of that then is really about identifying what I call the five elements that are necessary to become and stay freed from stuck. And the title of my book, of course, is Freed from Stuck. And I use the metaphor of crossing a bridge from stuck to freed from stuck. And I used the acronym F-R-E-E-D. So as we're thinking about moving from that frustrating place of being stuck to a place of being freed from stuck, we need to have a way to cross that bridge. And the first step is the F which is face the bridge. And this is really about identifying the real problem. Because often what we think is the problem is not necessarily really what's going on. And the real problem is often connected to some pain point or some unmet need. And when we identify that, then we can plan accordingly as to how to take steps to change that. So we identify the real problem. The next step is R, which is recognize the bridge. And this is actually about looking across the bridge to where we want to be. And this is really important because the more clear, the more vivid that picture is in our own mind, the more we are able to emotionally connect to that vision the more it is energetically and emotionally charged, the more it will help magnetize us across the bridge 
especially when there starts to be storms and challenges when we're making that journey. So it's very important that as best we can to have an idea, a clear idea, a vision, a picture, if you will, of where we really want to be and what we imagine our life will be like when we make those changes. The E is embrace the bridge. And what this is, is this is about identifying any blocks or challenges, either externally or internally that are keeping us from where we want to be. And then to plan a strategy accordingly to that. The next E is exit the bridge. And this is about identifying what is no longer serving us and being willing to grieve what we need to let go of. And sometimes this is the most difficult challenge of making change because we instinctively resist loss and grief because it's the most difficult human task that we do. And to the degree that we love and to the degree that we are attached is the degree of our grief. But it's really, really important that we're able to let go of what is no longer serving us on our best interest on our behalf in order to create the change. And then D is about discovering our destiny as we arrive at the destination. And by that, I mean, as we're making that journey and we arrive to the change point that we have been wanting, we also along the way have learned some amazing things about ourselves. We've learned about our values, what's important to us, what brings us joy, what satisfies us and what is purposeful. And so that is all part of that transformation process that I call our destiny as we arrive at the destination. And then of course, we always know that when we've crossed a bridge, there will always be another bridge and another bridge and another bridge because that is part of our human experience. Right, Suji. Wonderfully explained. Wonderfully explained indeed. Thank you. Now, before I move forward, let me un help understand one simple thing. Uh, how does one know whether they are stuck? I I'll ask you more on this. Uh, a lot of people in today's time they always remember the old days of laid back and without so much of social media where you can live your life the way you want. You see, there is a fast food and there is a seven-course meal, seven-course dinner, five-course dinner. Both have their own importance. Now, what? how do people know if they are stuck or if they are actually living a laid-back life which they always desire to, but they are confused whether they are stuck. Like, if I get a chance to not be without social media or my phone for long hours, I'm fine. But a lot of people are not. So, Or if they feel that they have come to a smaller place to stay, and that was not their choice, and the space of life is not that fast, or they see pictures in social media of their friends who are celebrating and enjoying their so-called vacations and happy life in far distant, beautiful backgrounds and all, then you feel you are stuck. They are actually zooming ahead in life. How does one differentiate 
whether they are stuck or actually living the life, but they don't know that they are living the life that they so much desire. It's a really interesting question that you ask. And it really has to do with our experience of satisfaction and purposefulness in life. If someone is living a life where they are contented and they enjoy being uh, in solitude and reading books and not active and about, and they're feeling a sense of contentment in their, in their life, then they're probably not stuck. Now, they might be in denial about it, but if they are saying to themselves, I'm content with where my life is, then my task with people like that are to say, well, then enjoy your life as it is. But if in your life, you are not satisfied, you're unhappy, you're frustrated, you're lonely, you feel like you're missing out on something, then that's an inner, an inner signal that's telling you that something needs to change. And sometimes we can look at people from the outside and to us it appears as if they're not living a quality of life. And yet that's not really ours, our decision to make. It's really about each of us taking full responsibility for the quality of life that we want and understanding our own needs in that and responding accordingly. So if people want to make a change and they're dissatisfied, that can mean then that they're, they're willing to take action and move forward. And those are the people that are going to really benefit from having a, a way, a strategy of moving where they want to be. Otherwise, you know, we let people be where they are, yes? Okay, okay, well explained. Uh, so now let's come back to that moving forward in life and people get stuck. So how do they move forward? You talked about the five essential elements, but then there are obstacles and people are not able to. Everybody is not, not as strong-willed or there are different conditions, different situations that they are in. What are the biggest obstacles uh, for people uh, that you can enumerate, enumerate as to becoming freed from stuck? What are those obstacles so that they can identify them and they can try and, you know, solve those issues? Understanding that there are obstacles or challenges that are keeping us from being where we want to be. One of the things that's really important is that we identify those challenges, those obstacles, those blocks that are outside of us. And sometimes they're very real. They can have to do with where we live, the type of work that we're doing, the structure of our family, our community. They can have to do with financially where the economy is. All of those things are very real. However, what we also know is that we have an incredible capacity as human beings to be curious, to create, to problem solve, and that honestly, more often than not, the blocks are not external, but rather internal. And they primarily 
if we really dig down deep and we explore those and we ask good questions about what's really going on inside of me, what do I really need, what am I wanting, and what do I think that's going to give me if I desire that and I accomplish that? Those are really, really important questions. And as we identify those, very often we find that the primary obstacle internally finds its place in fear and sometimes with a combination of pain. But if we look closely, usually it's our own fear that keeps us from taking action to move forward. Our own fear. Fear of what? And if you say that humans have immense capacity to do what they want to, then the small thing so-called is changing a few things in their life or their habits. Why do they find it so difficult? Even the, many of us can't uh, keep the new year resolutions. We keep on making new ones. So where is that capacity gone on New Year's, uh, say, on, on, new, on, on a new year? Where is that gone? Where the... How, why do we become so weak or, you know, so brittle? Well, it's a good question. And, and all of us have asked that question. You know, I started out with good intentions and I was going to do it and I was going to make it happen. And what happened along the way? It's a really good question. And part of it is that we don't really understand the complexity of our own internal uh, dynamic and functioning, meaning that we do not, let me say it a different way. The least effective way to make change is through willpower. Right. And the reason for that is because of the complexity of how we are created, that there is so much that is going on for us at what we call a non-conscious level in the sub or unconscious mind that is functioning in a way that is very often connect with, connected with self-preservation. And so we tend to, by virtue of our default settings internally, we tend to default to those habits, those patterns that are most familiar, especially when we're stressed. So when we begin to set out to make a change, we have to appreciate that this mechanism that has been reinforced by repetition inside of us is there for the purpose of our own, the intention is there for our own well-being. And so when we make a change, we have to understand that those grooves, if you will, in our mind don't go away, but rather the new habit needs the time of, and strength of repetition to be reinforced long enough to be able to be the predominant habit that we choose. And so sometimes we get discouraged because we think we're supposed to create change more quickly than we do. We don't uh, really appreciate the, the power of the non-conscious mind. And sometimes we have to go deep inside of ourselves and really explore what's going on there. For example, people know that smoking cigarettes is not good for our health. We know that, and yet people smoke. Why? Even if they know the habit is in some way harming them. 
because the habit itself serves a purpose. And until we recognize it and deal with it at that level, it makes it difficult, if not impossible, to change that pattern. So we really need to appreciate that even choices that are made that appear self-destructive have been taken on with the intention of well-being. Because, for example, when people smoke, it, it allows them to feel more relaxed. And so it serves a purpose for them. It's just that we, we understand that there's, there's a price to be paid for that choice. So we have to understand that even a self-destructive pattern has been chosen at some level with the intention of taking care of ourselves. And once we understand that, then we're not as inclined to be as judgmental and impatient with ourselves in the change process, but rather to be more compassionate and more truthful and more deliberate in creating actions that are going to be sustainable and that are realistic and sustainable. Right, right, Susie. Now, uh, it means uh, you meet a lot of clients and you suggest them how to effectively bring about a change in your life. So we'll ask about that. That will be my next question. But just to understand uh, the human mind is that one is full of fear, but you are born with fear. And that guides you and lets you, uh, you know, you survive all those early years of life with the help of others, with your parents and all that stuff. But later on, when you are on your own, when that thing should be much more of a guiding force, why does it, and, and by that time you have learned so much about life, but instead of being a guiding force, and where your mind is also actively growing and working, why is it that fear still overpowers your thought process, your life, and your future? Why is it so? Why doesn't it help you for which it was actually made to be? Fight or flight? I believe that we are actually not born in fear we learn about fear and we rely on those who have been given the honor and the privilege of guiding us into maturation in our developmental process. Parents, caregivers, teachers, authority figures, all of those people help shape how we see ourselves, how we see the world and what we believe about ourselves, about other people, and about the world around us. And so those beliefs that have been reinforced experientially as we have grown up and become adults are the most powerful in our early development because it's designed that way to lay a foundation for our experience and our preparation into being um, responsible adults. So what happens is, for example, if we have experiences of trauma or abuse, or if we have uh, learned things about ourselves or others or the world 
that has perpetuated, as you say, the experience of fear, our nervous system and our brain is designed in such a way as to protect us. And you mentioned fight or flight. So this is an instinctive response. If we, if we have been conditioned, if you will, to be afraid, our nervous system and our brain will, will react accordingly. So part of what is important is that we have to be able to create change in a way that is most safe. In other words, we have to believe that if I make this change, I am going to be more safe. I'm going to be more satisfied in my life. I'm going to have more of what life has to offer. If we don't really believe that that change can happen in a way that we can also be safe, we're less likely to take those actions. So you become a rocket scientist. You can send, you know, uh, ships to space, but you cannot banish fear to space. When will, can, cannot human learn about that? Or will they have to come to a person like you to do that? Or can they do it themselves? Well, you raise an important question in terms of how do we, how do we deal with fear in our lives? You said human mind has great capacity. Yes, I did now, didn't I? In fact, I'll tell you what I say to people very often. I help people access internal resources they never knew they had in order to create what they never knew they could. And that is really important to recognize because understanding our potential, our potential for awareness, our potential for curiosity, our potential for creativity, our potential for problem solving, all of that is a part of being human. It's a part of our experience. And so we don't want to banish fear, rather we want to understand it as a signal that comes through our nervous system, our brain, that tells us that something needs to change. We're not meant to live in sustained experiences of fear. That's part of why there is so much um, stress that really gets manifested very often in physical conditions is because our bodies get locked into those uh, patterns of trying to manage fear, even when there's really not something to be immediately afraid of. So we can't banish fear, nor would we want to. But if we can use it as a signal that identifies a pain point or an unmet need, and then we focus on how to meet that need most effectively, then we can create an action plan, if you will, a different set of choices that will move us in that direction and we've used the fear or the pain to inform us about what needs to be done differently. Right, right. So you have many clients who come to you. They are stuck in their lives. They are fearful. And fear is one of the important factors that make them be stuck. They are not able to make that change. So what do you tell them 
how do you plan an effective strategy for sustained change in their life so that you know what a lot of people can learn from what you are saying you are you are a certified coach life and business coach a psychotherapist you what you speak is with a lot of authority and authenticity i think there are uh maybe several components that are important to understand apart from what i identified earlier is those five essential pieces which are really important for sustained change i would add to that in light of your question that in order to make change we have to one know that we have the capacity to do that we can figure it out and we live in a world with so many resources right now we have so much information available to us and part of the greatest challenge is learning how to ask good questions about information in order to make decisions about the change process but really appreciating that one we have the resources to make the change internally and secondly being able to ask and answer the question do i deserve this change it's really important that we value and cherish ourselves enough to say i will make a choice in care of myself that is more loving and is more in alignment with who i really am and how i want to care for myself and how i want to be in the world that alignment is really important for us to be able to create change because if we do not believe that we deserve a good quality of life if we do not appreciate our ability to create change if we do not believe that we are worthy of love any of those deep internal blocks or wounds if you will will make it very very difficult to make sustainable change so foundationally it's really important that we know that we deserve a good quality of life whatever that may mean within the realities of where our life is but we are created to live with peace and contentment and connection and as you were saying authenticity and those are part of what we're meant to experience as human beings right right and one wants to do that but sometimes it's the environment who is not supportive of that change that you are trying to bring to your life how does one deal with that sometimes when we make changes especially significant changes that you're identifying that there may be people in our environment that do not agree do do not support that that can be really hard it can be really really hard and that becomes a kind of emotional crossroad where we have to make a decision 
is this relationship with this person going to keep me from making the changes that I know I need to make? That's a tough place to be. And often in order to do that, sometimes we have to find support, whether it's a good friend, a family member that we trust, a spiritual leader in our lives that we respect, a professional that has skills. But if we need external support to, to create that change, it's important that we seek that out and that we know that we may have to even give up some relationships in order to create a different life. And, and that's where that grieving comes in and the willingness to be able to let go. Right, right. And uh, talking of let go, which you earlier also mentioned, is that how do people know what to let go and what to keep? Because sometimes what we are doing nowadays is that we are keeping things and letting go of people. But we are not keeping the right people and not the right things, but we are keeping a lot of baggage, either in terms of things or people. So how does one know what to keep? It's like during COVID, the higher, the biggest baggage that you have is an oxygen cylinder, but you can't throw it away. Sometimes people throw away relationships, strong friends, you know, and, and, and so many important things in life because they are not able to comprehend what is what is to be preserved, what is to be cherished, and that is not a thing to be used and through. How does one differentiate that? Because especially when you are in a difficult position, when you are vulnerable, sometimes your mind can go for you. How does that? Yes. Uh, you know, you're identifying that isolation can be so toxic for us. And isolation is different than solitude, right? Right, absolutely. Uh, very, very different. But isolation narrows our view and our perspective. And when that happens, we tend to sort of internally shrink into that space. And that can, that can be very, very difficult and even toxic for us. You're also... Um, you're also talking about something that has happened for us internationally that has to do with a lot of polarization, uh, where we have this experience of us and them. And, you know, here you and I are connected in this conversation right now, talking about our human experience. Like, we need more of this. We need more of this genuine kind of connection with one another. And in order to do that, we must have an experience of empathy for one another. Yeah. And in fact, Susie, I'm not even trying to talk. I'm just trying to understand things and asking like you would ask any other person yes. face to face, a friend, a confidant, somebody who you trust. That's the way it used to be. And that's what real conversations are all about. Why should it be different? Because it's a different medium. It does not matter. That's true. And the truth is, is that we need to have personal connection. We need to be able to touch. We need to be able to hug. We need to have that close physical connection. 
we also have this amazing opportunity because of technology to connect with people around the world that we would not otherwise connect with. And we must appreciate that as a gift that cults cultivates our connection. So you're absolutely right. It is about being fully present, listening, enjoying and interacting with someone, even if we might not understand or agree, but honoring this experience of connection. And I honestly believe that the pandemic for all of the isolation it created, it also woke us up to our desire for connection. So I do think that there are more and more people now that are seeking out connection. Media in some ways makes that more challenging because it's easy and often superficial and consequently distorted. So I guess that's all to say these experiences like you and I are having right now are so important and so valuable. And we also, when we are completed, when we've completed this conversation, we're going to go out into our world and we're going to connect with people face to face. And we're going to have conversations with them. And we're going to do there what you and I are doing virtually. We're going to connect with them and listen and appreciate and value them for who they are. And it is the lack of empathy that has caused us as humans to go to war, to be abusive, to be mean, to be unkind, to be greedy. And so part of our task is about opening our hearts again to one another and appreciating the value of that. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And you can only teach only as much as possible in, in your conversations, in your time with people, and they need to learn it and make their life better. But the ultimate is that it's like you are giving somebody a glass of water, but then they have to uh, appreciate the river and keep uh, keep the river alive for humanity. And that's that's the way empathy is all about. You can be you can give them, you can be nice to them, but at the end of the day, we all have to uh, revisit our, you know, our uh, our quota of empathy that we got from nature, from universe, from God, and keep it distributing and keep it keep it multiplying. That's the way it's only going to help. Otherwise, it will not. Then you will will need to keep on having more people who are stuck in their lives. And you need to keep them, make them become free. That's going to happen. As long as if people forget hum empathy and humanity, then it will be it will be something else which will have to come to their aid. So let's move from this because you can only learn as much as this in this half an hour conversation. Uh, for more, they have to uh, connect with you and take your help directly. So how do they do that? But before that, tell us about your book, how people can purchase that book and also connect with you. Let know more about what you do, your website, how they can connect directly with you. Several questions at the same time, but so that you can answer them at your own pace. I can do that. 
So you can find my book on Amazon and my website is freedfromstuck.com. You can go there. There's lots of resources there, blogs and um, articles that you can read. If you would are interested in setting up a consultation with me, you can contact me through that. I offer an initial consultation at no charge. I do all of my work now virtually, so I can work with anyone across the globe. And so I encourage you to take whatever steps make sense to you. And if it feels like it would be beneficial to connect with me, I invite you to do that. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your insights, Susie. And I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot of understanding out of this. And for more, you've already said how they can connect with you. So with this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass with you, with Susie Hayes. Thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you.